You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. So I want to talk about forgiveness tonight. I've been thinking a lot about it, so you'll hear some context to that. Um, just about forgiving and forgiving as an invitation from God. Do I have any slides in here? I'll talk a little bit. You'll listen a little bit. We'll see what happens. So to forgive someone, I want to suggest, is really just a gift. Often, I, I think we wait around trying to do something with our feelings when we've been wronged by someone or hurt by someone. And I, I want to really wrestle with the concept of forgiving particularly as we're in this Eastertide season, listening to what Jesus has to say to us um, about life after he has overcome death for us. This is our experience. So from that perspective, forgiveness is a gift that we give. It's not dependent on a good apology, although I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, but he didn't even apologize, right? We go that way. It's not based on good behavior, although I think we might wish it could be. Um, Often when we think about forgiving, our focus gets stuck on the person who hurt us, and we then end up caught in a kind of perpetual cycle of looking backward, back to what they did that hurt us. Our mind returns to the pain to the actions that harmed us, and the bitterness that can grow inside of us can be really daunting. Instead of looking backwards like this, I want to explore with you tonight, moving our focus to giving the gift of forgiving out of our own choosing. It takes work, but I would contend that this is good work, and it's well worth our efforts. In fact, the psychological research is overwhelming in uh, support of our learning how to forgive and just kind of tumbling around trying to keep at it. The reported health benefits alone are significant. So that's the angle that I want to work at tonight, uh, that uh, forgiving is an invitation from God, one that is probably disguised, but still an invitation for our growth and our freedom. Forgiving can be a pathway to turning our suffering to joy, but it takes mindful attention to pull this off. We have to go step by step with God, um, and we have to go in the Spirit of God, allowing God to be at work within us, or we can easily slide into simply acting out of a kind of obligation that shuts down our feelings and perpetuates this kind of trauma within us. And that is not forgiving. Um, So we're going to have to go slow. We're going to have to go prayerfully. uh, But ultimately, all the research shows us that uh, we really can't do anything else but keep trying at this thing. A lack of forgiveness can harm us perhaps even more than the original harm done to us. Do you hear that? That, That's just what the research says, that 
the lack of forgiveness can harm us, can cause actual physical damage within us, perhaps even more than the original harm done to us. We live in a need, I think we live in a world where we need protection from evil, and a lack of forgiveness might be just one of those places where evil gets its foothold. Um, and of course, this protection from evil is all the more, I think, um, obvious in our world today, given the kinds of things we hear in the public discourse in the daily news cycles. We have people in power in our world who absolutely oppose forgiving. So I would contend that even your listening to me tonight is a part of the radical way of following Jesus, an alternative to what our world is offering us, certainly our government at this point. So let's look at forgiveness together and see what we, if we can cast some light on, on the path forward here. When Rachel asked me to speak to you tonight, she particularly noted this passage from John. Can somebody read that for us? Loud voice. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's kind of a radical statement, I think. This is John writing later than the other gospel writers, and this is what he focuses on, what he thinks is important for people living longer than they expected to live as followers of Jesus. This, this power to forgive others is ours, according to Jesus. As he breathes on us, he gives us this power, according to John, the, uh, the good friend of Jesus, often known as the beloved disciple. You know, when Matthew writes his last little bit of what Jesus does before he ascends into heaven, he doesn't talk about forgiveness. He talks about teaching and obeying commands. He talks about how Jesus promised to be with us always. And Mark, likewise, doesn't refer to forgiveness. In Luke, you get a little bit of it at the last moment. He says, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And again, as John emphasizes, Luke does too. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. What I take from all of that is that we need power from God to forgive that you're not in it alone, but that it's absolutely vital. Um, and John saw it as being particularly vital as the church continued on earth longer than they expected. 
certainly not envisioning us a couple of millennia later. Okay? So in our world, forgiveness, I think, is really, really important. I want to go after a little bit of a quote here from C.S. Lewis, because I think it, it helps us get at this picture, maybe, this image of what God might be doing in the raucous that goes on inside of us when we have to forgive somebody. I, I think it, it goes to this house-building nature of God. Imagine yourself a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. We look a little like this cottage in need of repair. But presently, God starts knocking about the house in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is, God is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but God is building a palace, and God intends to come and live in it. I really liked that image, and I think when we're in this process of trying to sort out how to forgive. We do well to remember this building project that God has undertaken, that something far more than we dreamed is at work. When I first began my study of psychology and my interest in blending psychology and Christianity, I became involved with a professional organization called CAPS, the Christian Association for Psychological Studies. This organization has been my professional home ever since. At one of my first conferences with CAPS, I met Dr. Ev Worthington, a voracious researcher and a professor at that time at Virginia Commonwealth University. Ev is retired now, but Ev became one of the earliest researchers in the field of forgiveness, which has absolutely exploded in the psychological literature over the last 20 years or so. And Ev came to this study from a very, very personal perspective. His elderly mother was sexually violated and brutally murdered in 1997. Five years later, his brother, who had found their mother's body, committed suicide spurred on by the traumatic events related to their mother's death. So Ev has had to work at forgiving his mother's murderer, and I think he would say were he here tonight, and it's been even harder to forgive himself for not being able to help his brother. Ev is a psychologist. We're supposed to be able to help people prevent these kinds of things. And so I'm going to borrow heavily from Ev's work on forgiveness, I think he is an authentic disciple and well worth listening to. So here's a bit of a long quote that I hope you can, can hang in there with me from uh, The Art and Science of Forgiving. 
Wounds are a part of life, just like dying is a part of life. Yet it's anxiety-producing to dwell on those certainties, so we often create an irrational belief that protects us against facing the negative. We hope that our irrational belief will give us hope. It seems on the surface that it should, but to the contrary, it undermines hope. The belief is something like this. I have a right to experience a life free of pain and suffering and filled with joy. We claim this right because we try to live justly, righteously, treating others, most of the time, with respect. We're especially strong, skilled, bright, or good, so therefore we should have this life free of suffering. We are Christians, and God loves us and has a plan for our lives. Other reasons for why this irrational belief that there should not be suffering leaks in. There's a disconnection between these beliefs, which power our daily lives, and any rational analysis of our condition in life. When we hold these beliefs and live as if they were true, we expect no pain, no suffering, no unfair treatment, and in general, a just world. However, our just world usually overlooks any of our own hurtful behaviors. Our expectations are thus often violated, and we look for someone to blame. End quote. I want to suggest that this old cottage and God's invitation feels like a huge leap or even a crushing obligation, that this invitation to forgive, that this power to forgive that God breathes into us is really not an easy process to engage in. Things get really messy when we're hurt and we are confronted with what often feels like a demand that we forgive rather than any kind of disguised invitation. I think it's about this old word and forgiveness pushes us to reckon with this old Christian word, surrender. In the Christian context, all relating is really about surrendering to another. We have to give up our clear-cut idea and begin to meld our ideas, or perhaps better, to have them dance with the ideas of others. I think that's what love is. We learn to move together. We humans were made to attach in this way and learn to move together, but we've just had a lot of trouble doing this. We end up always stepping on one another's toes. I want to point out something that I almost always point out when I'm speaking with you about the way that humans experience life now after Jesus, or after the fall, after sin has had its work in us. Uh, this separation from God has come right into us. So we experience life consciously. I know things that are happening. You know things that are happening. We read our, our uh, senses that deliver lots of Lots of impulses to our amygdala and our hippocampus. We have all kinds of things going on in our minds 
that happen also unconsciously, out of our awareness. So we have what we know about ourselves, and then we have lots of motivation happening under the, service, under the surface in the deeper reaches of our brain, limbic system, and even deeper into the brain stem. And these have a lot of bearing on what we do, and I think they have a lot of bearing on how we end up saying stupid things to each other that are hurtful, or just being mad at someone and interpreting what they say to us as hurtful to us when perhaps their intention was not there. And it really causes havoc when the person intended us harm. So in all of this conscious and unconscious activity inside of us, we end up making choices that inevitably involve the need to forgive and to be forgiven. So we're faced with this need over and over and over again. If we pay attention rather than simply react when all this is going on in us, I think we can learn surprising things about ourselves. So all of this really is a place that we are invited to know more, although sometimes I think I turn a blind eye to the invitation, as I'm sure you might also. I want to go back to Peter because I think he really helps us with this process. Peter came to the Lord. You'll remember this fairly famous story, I think. And um, he's, he's kind of trying to come up with, aren't I cool, Jesus, because I'm going to suggest that I forgive my brother seven times. Remember, these guys are all Jewish, right? They live according to the law. They follow the rules. And the rules about forgiving were pretty well mapped out. And Jesus just blows it all out of the water. So Peter's thinking, I am going to really please Jesus. I'm going to say seven times, should I forgive my brother seven times? This is, this is outrageous, right? Seven times. And Jesus very famously answers, no, not seven. How about 70 times seven? That's 490 times. Peter insists and decides to pose the question, and Jesus' quick reply is mind-boggling. At first glance, it seems like an extreme. Wouldn't it be abusive to forgive someone 490 times? I want to pause right here and say, if you are in an abusive relationship, or if people are telling you you are in an abusive relationship, you will not be able to manage that alone. You will need to get help. We have help available at Circle Counseling. Please talk to me. Do not keep forgiving someone who is putting your life in danger, who is abusing you. Having said that, though, most of us aren't in that boat. Instead, we're in Peter's boat. We are trying to figure out how on earth can this be possible that Jesus would expect us to forgive 490 times. Well, I'd suggest that Jesus is once again talking about the reality of how human beings work. I mean, think back about it. Even with the people that you love, whom you've received great good from, I am sure that I need to forgive Rod at least 490 times because I'll forgive him for something, and then three hours later, I have to do it again because it's certainly come up in me again. It's there. I think I've handled it. 
it's there again. I think I've handled it. It's there again. So I'd like to flip Jesus' words to us and say, instead of thinking about this as an impossible standard, what if it's just a very rational explanation for how human beings work and that we're going to have to go at this over and over and over again and that you should not consider yourself a failure at forgiving until you get to 490 times. And since Jesus was speaking hyperbolically, you can even go beyond that and not be a failure at forgiving. We humans have to do this and do it again and do it again. It's the way we work. So where can we expect to find the fortitude for efforts, right? Haven't you been in this experience where you thought you forgave someone and then the feelings came back? Well, here's where our living houses really get some new construction. I think it's in this very process that we do well to turn to God and not to ourselves. We do well to remember the first step in forgiveness must always be to reckon with how we have been forgiven. Back in, which one of those quotes was it? It is, um, I think in the Luke passage, there is forgiveness of sin for all who repent, is the way Jesus' parting words go in the Gospel of Luke. So as we turn back to God, we experience this depth of forgiveness, and it's only there that you're ever going to be in touch with power to forgive those you love, and power to forgive those who do not love you back. But the power is there. This is the hidden invitation of God. It's embedded in this deep experience of love that goes far outside of any deserving. We're in a culture that uses the word deserve all the time. And it bothers me all the time. You know, we do not get what we deserve. And to say, we often say that to other people. You know, they bought a new pair of shoes. Oh, girl, you deserve those shoes. You know, that just puts us back in this very difficult psychological cycle of always trying to earn something down to our shoes. Please, get free. It's not about deserving anymore. That's the freedom Jesus has declared. That's the freedom Jesus has won for us. So that's where we can live. We forgive and we forgive and we forgive, and it's here that I think this invitation is embedded because what God is doing is literally expanding our hearts in this very struggle to forgive as we have been forgiven. Now, Ev's research um, he interviewed tons of people, he did volumes of research, and came up with this sort of stepwise process that I think is pretty helpful in terms of how we forgive. And um, I put it in a wheel after I did some of this thinking, pondering, praying, trying to think through how to talk about this with you all. It seemed to me that we're just going to go round and round with this, <laughs> right? So I, I, I put... I put Ev's reach model into a wheel. 
So you can see that each of the steps around the wheel recall the hurt, R-E-A-C-H, reach. Um, and uh, I want to spend most of the rest of the time that I have, just a few brief more minutes, talking about just the first step, because this is where we as Christians, I think, go particularly wrong. We do not recall the hurt we try to jump to forgiveness. And sometimes we've been told, if you grew up in a Christian household, you might have been told you need to forgive. I struggle with what to do with, with my own grandkids that live with me, Paul and Lucia, when, when it feels like Paul really needs to be told, no, you've really got to tell, him, tell her you're sorry that you, you know, ran up and slugged her in the head, you know, or something like that. He's a very boisterous boy. And, uh, I'm always trying to think in my mind, how do I help not make this the obligation that I, that I want it to be? I, I don't want it to fall into that category. And so I'm sure you've, you've thought through some of these things too. But in our culture, we are misled to believe that we can... I think get away with sort of skimming over our feelings, uh, particularly in the Christian subculture, anger is bad. And um, so we don't really reckon because most of the time for most of us, we're mad before we really get down to how hurt we are. We cover over our hurt with mad and, um, and, Sometimes we act very poorly and need to be forgiven for the things we do as we're covering over the hurt with the mad. And so this process of really allowing ourselves to name that which hurts is a process that's going to press you to the core of your being because whatever hurt you today is going to link to what hurt you way back when and all through your life. And you're going to react really big out here today until you're able to process the hurts that have been left unprocessed because you haven't been able to name them and work through this process. So I can't emphasize enough how important step one is. It's not about blame, as that long quote from Ev talked about. It's about a true assessment of the cost of what you're going to give you're going to forgive, and that costs something because the hurt has to be named. And you were hurt, by the way. You really were hurt. It's part of life. So, recall the hurt. Keep recalling it. Ask God to enter into the process of forgiveness with you. Ask God to empower you to forgive. Part of that empowering then will help you get to the second part of the wheel. This is hard. It is empathizing with the person who hurt you. Don't go there too fast because you'll only cement the hurt inside you where it festers, right? You may have to go around the wheel a few times, right? Or a few hundred times. Empathizing with the person who hurt you is hard to do, but it is the way that we get 
to the release that is true forgiveness. I think Jesus was empathizing with the men driving the nails in his hands when he looks down at them and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's an empathy statement. That's being able to see from their perspective, even while our Lord is the injured party. We, like him, can begin to try to understand the limits of our fellow human beings and why they might be reacting poorly to us, even unjustly to us. And then the next step is the altruistic gift. That means you just give forgiveness, not because they deserved, not because they apologized, not because they improved their behavior, not for any of those reasons, but because you are called as a follower of Christ to forgive. It's the last thing he uttered in John's memory. Do this. Be like me in this. So you give the gift of forgiving. And then you have to commit to it. I will do this. And then you have to hold on to that commitment. And then you'll probably go a layer deeper and identify more of your hurt, and you'll be going round again. 490 times or more, perhaps, round and round again. But this is how our God makes us into a living palace. This is how he enlarges us. If we had more time tonight, I'd tell you stories of where I've had to fight this through. I'd invite you to tell me stories because I know you fought this through too. What I'm saying tonight is just keep fighting. I hope Ev's wheel can, uh, can help you do just that. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.